Uh, overrated. This one might be controversial, but I'm going to say it. Six cents. I knew you would. I, you knew I would because here's my issue with that with the sixth sense as a movie. It is because you're drunk on haterade. Another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, a movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster sitting pretty in San Diego, California. Uh, yeah, finally, kind of pretty. It's it was very rainy, and the sun has actually been out the couple, uh, last couple days. But um, you, of course, are Cassidy Robinson, and you are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. And today we will be reviewing. The film Knock at the Cabin, uh, which we're getting to now. It's been out for a little while. Uh, it's basically on demand. So I watched it on demand on Amazon, um, but it is still in theaters as well. Yes, I watched it in theaters. At the end of the podcast, we're going to be reviewing the film Rules of Attraction from 2002, which is available to stream on Tubi. Yes. Today is International Women's Day, so... But, well, not by the time they listen to this. By the time people listen to this, we'll be well past that. Yes, that is true. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I came up with a, a small list of, uh, of women directors. You know, a lot of people are doing that right now. I saw a bunch of lists going around online. I saw a list by Variety that had Lenny Riefenstahl on it. I was a little, like... I know it's International Women's Day, but I just don't know about that one, folks. Can you give a little context for any of the listeners who might not know who the fuck you're talking about? Lenny Riefenstahl, the German director uh, who made Nazi propaganda films such as Triumph of the Will and The Olympian. Ooh, yeah, I think it's okay to cancel her. <laughs> <laughs> she had a bit of an oopsie there in the 30s. Yeah, I don't know. I, that's not where I wanted this segment to go. Well, it went there. How's this? How's this for uh, International Women's Day? We ended up back to Nazis. Thanks, Nazis, for ruining fucking everything. <laughs> Uh, on my on my short list here that I, I tweeted out from the podcast account uh, at McGuffin Pod, um, Penelope Spheris, who we talked about her film Suburbia at one point on the uh, uh, Netflix homework or streaming homework. Uh, she also did the Decline of Western Civilization trilogy and mm -hmm. Wayne's World. Um, you know, a lot of a bunch of comedies. Uh, she was kind of loosely associated with Lorne Michaels and like the comedy world. Agnes Varda from uh, France. She was uh, part of the French New Wave. Uh, Doris Wishman, who made exploitation films, was one of the only female directors from that time who made exploitation films. Uh, most famously, her nudie cutie uh, called Nude on the Moon. Oh, that's fun. 
in which um, people live in a nudist colony on the moon. Well, that's very fun. Uh, Claire like Denis, uh, also, uh, I believe she's French or Belgian. Uh, Kelly Reichardt, who made the film uh, Meek's Cutoff, and Wendy and Lucy, and a few other, I believe a long time ago, we talked about her film Night Moves with Jesse Eisenberg. The late Nora Ephron, co-writer on When Harry Met Sally and made uh, Sleepless in Seattle, You Got Mail, um, My Blue Heaven, uh, and Chantal Ackerman, who made the f- uh, the film that is now considered the greatest film of all time, according to the Sight and Sound list. film that we're reviewing today, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's latest feature, Knock at the Cabin. I wanted us to kind of uh, think about M. Night's career in a more holistic sense. Uh, we've done this before. We have our list of the overrated, underrated, best, and worst film by M. Night Shyamalan. In our opinion, we're going to bounce those back and forth. And this one ought to be interesting because, you know, there's a lot of, he's a guy who's been out there for a while. He has Mm -hmm. had a lot of peaks and valleys in his career, you know, all the way from Oscar nominated to some very deep valleys. (laughs) Uh, And everybody has strong opinions about M. Night Shyamalan. For a while, his name was sort of a punchline. Well, it's it's interesting because um, he's kind of he's he's seen both ends of the spectrum like. Early mm-hmm. on in his career, he was sort of hailed as this, you know, like definitive auteur, and then he became a punchline. And now, and and we'll get into this a little bit more in the review um, <clears throat> for the movie this week, Knock at the Cabin. But I think um, going through that as a director has put him in an interesting place in his career where he can kind of not give a fuck which is in kind of nice and makes his it makes him a little more interesting to watch now i think um because he's not just getting you know critical praise no matter what he does uh you know he has to kind of be careful and pick and choose and he i think he's learned that the big franchise ip world is not his strength either either so um yeah i don't know it's it's he's kind of entering in a new phase of his career but uh but yeah he i i think i think it's easy to hate on m night Shyamalan because it i mean especially in the early 2000s he he the robot chicken what's a twist thing just became such an obvious joke format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's something that he was known for, you know. But I think it's a little unfair. Um, there's, you know, there's plenty to complain about if you want to complain about M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> and I'm sure we will. But, you know, there's a lot of directors out there whose films overwhelmingly 
uh, feature a twist of some sort. You could say that about a lot of David Fincher's films. You you know have big third act reveals. You could say that uh, uh, definitely about Christopher Nolan. Is it's almost built an entire career around that. Now they have more going on than just that, uh, and, and maybe people can reconcile a twist that they didn't love because they liked the journey getting to it a little bit more or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, um, uh, M night walked. So Nolan could run. Sure. But I just did want to say that there are a handful of his movies. I still have never seen. So they will not be on my list. Um, I've seen most of his movies, but I have not seen his his first feature, Prayer with Anger, which is like his little indie deal. Um, mm. He did a movie with Rosie O'Donnell called Wide Awake that I did not see. Um, yeah. I never saw After Earth, the uh, Will Smith and Jaden Smith vehicle. And mm. I didn't see Old from a couple years back. I have not seen... Uh, the first two, like you said, I have also not seen After Earth. I didn't see The Last Airbender, uh, and I haven't seen The Visit, which I've been told by many people I should see. Let's let's get into our lists here. Uh, let's start with underrated. What do you have as your most underrated M. Night Shyamalan feature that you've seen? Um. Okay, I, I have... I have a, uh, an older one and I have a newer one, but I, I feel like the newer one hasn't existed long enough to really uh, be held up to much scrutiny. So I'll go with the older one and say The Village. Uh, okay. I feel like that one kind of gets... I feel like the twist ending of that one kind of overshadows it, and mm-hmm. it, it was kind of the decline of his... Of that period where everything had to have a twist. Um, But I just, I think that movie has more going for it than just the twist. I think it's creepy and moody and uh, and just visually really cool. Uh, And, you know, fairly interesting as a movie. It it has Mm -hmm. been a while since I've seen it. um, But I think... I think it just kind of gets forgotten when people talk about Shyamalan because I think it's usually like, you know, it's usually The Sixth Sense or Signs or Unbreakable. And and I think I think The Village holds up, especially at that point in his career. I agree. That's what I had for my original answer, too. I have a backup, but uh, just to heap a little bit more praise on The Village, the movie looks great. Shot by Roger Deakins, and the use of color in it is amazing. Uh, has a really cool cast. Um, you know, he, with with some good performances, and that's yeah, not really good performances. Something that, and and I think acting as an actor's director, I think that can be a bit of a blind spot for him, particularly. Um, it's really strange think, because it, I feel like in those early films, that was not a problem for him. Like, 
you know, do you think of Tony Collette in The Sixth Sense or or Bruce Willis in Unbreakable or, um, you know, uh, uh, William Hurt and Sigourney Weaver in The Village? Those are all great performances. And then something the fuck happened. I'll, that- I'll say this. I think it comes down to a couple things. Um, mm. One, his movies kind of got bigger and more ambitious. And as that happens, I think... As a director, you can maybe take your hand away from the actors a little bit. As he kind of gets bigger and bigger, he stops focusing on that as much. And maybe actors who aren't as seasoned or aren't as... Just don't, you know, maybe dig into the dramaturgy the same way. Uh, I think it shows a little bit more. Yeah, or maybe he, you know, at some point he just started struggling with how to communicate with actors or, or something. I don't know. But, um, you know, definitely not a problem in the village. And that not only was that movie not really thought about as much anymore, like underrated in the classical sense. But that was the first big movie of his where people actively shit on it. And yeah. was like, fuck this guy. And I... Maybe I was still young enough, or maybe there was something about, like, I didn't have a problem with the twist because I felt like that was, like, thematically there in the text. But whatever. Uh, you said that you said The Village. I agree. That movie's great. Um, people are wrong. Just, just out of curiosity, you don't have to go into too much detail. What was your alternate? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm about to say. My alternate was uh, Split, which was probably your other pick right no actually uh my other pick was old i i really enjoyed old i was i was kind oh of i thought surprised. you didn't see it uh no i didn't see it in theaters i saw it uh a couple months ago um we caught it on hbo and i i kind of didn't want to see it <laughs> um uh but ashley just started playing it and i was surprised how i how i got kind of sucked into it and um, okay. it, it, it's not completely, uh, unproblematic of his style. You know, there's certainly some things that I'm like, a real fucking person wouldn't talk like that. Um, right. there are definitely moments like that, but as a whole, as a story, I, I actually really enjoyed it. So. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, I, for some reason, I thought you still hadn't seen that. But, um, no, Split, I, I think people generally like it. I think, I mean, it did well enough that he came back with that character for Glass, which may or uh, well, may I not think, show up on later parts of our lists. Yeah, I, I think Glass I, kind uh, of tarnishes the, uh, the, the reputation of Split. But, I, I mean, yeah, I agree on its with own, you. singularly, Split is a great thriller with kind of a sci-fi twist to it but uh it's basically a showcase for james mcavoy to just do whatever he wants to do which is enough of a reason to exist absolutely i mean i Um, i'm not gonna argue with you it's one of uh, my personal favorites of his so yeah and i think in some some ways really brought him back in a big way okay overrated Sure. Uh, overrated. This one might be controversial, but I'm going to say it. Six cents. I knew you would. I, you knew I would, because here's my issue with that 
with the sixth sense as a movie it is because you're drunk on haterade uh, okay i'm not i'm not i actually i <laughs> at this point want to see m night kind of reach that height again my problem with the sixth sense as a movie is i saw it knowing the twist ending i saw it i had it spoiled for me before i saw it and as i was watching it i felt like everything relied on that twist and i i felt like the whole movie was just kind of built around that one moment and i i found other i found it as a movie to be just kind of boring and drab and it has some great moments. I, I mean, of of course it is a seminal moment in pop culture history. I won't say it's a bad movie because objectively it is not. I just think it's a little overrated. I think it, it just, that's all. Okay. All right. I mean, obviously I disagree uh, because I also knew the twist when I saw it and still enjoyed getting to it. And I have, watched it many times since and still enjoy it so honestly i it, it probably does deserve a rewatch from me at this point um you know i saw it not long after it came out and and you know i was younger and a little easier to judge and i you know i probably was looking for more flaws and stuff but again i think it's a good movie i just I, it's not my personal favorite and, um, and I do think he's done better. So. Okay. Okay. My overrated, and I'll try not to say too much about it because you said you haven't seen it, is The Visit. Oh, okay. I did not like this movie. Interesting. Um, I heard good things about it. Uh, you know, I was like, all right, you know. Fool me once. Uh, but I, I went and I saw it. And I think conceptually it's fine. There's, It's a cool idea. I like. It's kind of low budget. He's doing it through Bloomhouse. So, and there is something kind of darker and meaner about that movie than other M. Night work. Because a lot of his stuff, you know, sort of has a hopeful... Uh, quality to it, you know? Yeah. I think he, you know, for as much as he is the twist guy or the next Hitchcock or whatever he was being touted at the time, I think he's actually spiritually much closer to a Spielberg or much closer to a uh, the lighter end of Stephen King. Yeah, I, I agree. Sometimes... Sometimes uh, I think to his movie's detriment, but yes, yeah, I agree, but in different ways. But in the in the visit, I felt like he was like, okay, I'm, I'm. Let's do a Bloomhouse film, you know, just a a twenty million dollar nuts and bolts shocker kind of thriller, and that's fine. And again, conceptually, whatever, but. It relies heavily on the chops of two child actors who damn near sink the whole thing. Oh, okay. That's rough. And I can picture that. That makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah. again, I, I don't think he's the best actor's director. And, and it's 
no offense to any children who might be listening, um, <laughs> but I think it's, I just think it's harder to get a good performance out of a kid. Like you have to, you know, you have to teach them how to be an actor, even if, even if they've done commercials mm-hmm. for a few years or whatever, like you, I feel like unless it is somebody who's particularly talented, like a young Haley Joel Osment, um, yeah. They they kind of need to put that extra work in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I I struggled through that movie mostly because of that. Um, you know I I don't I can't remember a lot more about it other than certain scenes and and uh, those those really annoying kids. I mean, I still I still want to see it. You should. Yeah. I mean, you you're along for the ride. You know, I've even thought about watching After Earth, even though literally nothing about it appeals to me. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I almost watched it for this because I have heard so many people say, like, I've ne- I have not heard a single bad thing about it until this. So that's interesting to me. Yeah. And, and maybe knowing that going in, you'll be a little bit more prepared for that than I was. But sure. Yeah. Um, that could okay. Definitely change Next things. category. Let's talk about uh, what, in your opinion, speaking of Haterade, what is the worst M. Night Shyamalan film? Possibly the, the biggest category to choose from. <laughs> I I actually don't think so. I think that's a little unfair. Uh, I... So I have not seen The Last Airbender, but I have heard nothing but bad things about it. Um, So for me, this answer is easy. It is The Happening. To me, that is just an absolute joke of a movie. It is so bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just remember watching it and literally like laughing the whole way through. I just, I can't take a single second of it seriously. And the frustrating thing is... It had, I think, such promise. Like, I remember the trailer for it. And I and the opening scene with, like, all the people killing themselves is dark and scary and fucked up and weird. But the, the movie is such high premise. Once that premise is revealed, it is not able to deliver that in any way that is tense or interesting it is just stupid and and i don't and i'm not a Wahlberg hater i think Wahlberg, you know mark can be pretty good uh i actually think he can be really good in the right context Mm -hmm. um but this isn't it this isn't the type of thing where he's going to create a compelling character to carry us through it's just and I don't even think the concept is that ridiculous. Like the, you know, the idea of Mother Earth sort of, I guess spoilers, uh, but the idea of Mother Earth sort of fighting back against us as a virus, like it's actually pretty similar to what The Last of Us, the critically acclaimed HBO show is about. It's just this, this movie bites off way more than it can chew and it it tries to create these scenes that are tense. And I, I will never forget in all of my life the scene where Mark Wahlberg is running from the wind 
in a grassy field, and it's just the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. Uh, it's just, it's laughably bad. And and if say what you will about most of his movies, yeah. I haven't, I, you know, I found some of them dumb and I found some of them boring. This is the only one that I found laughably bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's up there. Uh, with uh, for one of the worst, um, that's what I mean. There's a stretch there where it's hard. There was about five or six in a row like that. It looked like he was just gone, gone, going. Yeah. Um, and that one, as bad as it is, isn't my pick. All right. Because it, there's something kind of campy about that movie that you can sort of enjoy it as like a overblown B movie, like. It it's not going for that exactly. It thinks take it's taking it pretty dead serious, which makes it worse. But um I think it's a great movie to make fun of with friends. Like it is yeah. it is it sort of feels like it's made for mystery science theater. Like it's that bad. Well, it's that type of movie. Like if it had come out in nineteen fifty-three yeah. and it had been made for a fraction of the budget with like television actors of the time um it would be so, it would be like night of the lepus or or you know something like that but the, my my answer is lady in the water yeah i i had a feeling you were gonna pick that and i remember you hated this movie when it came out well i felt betrayed because i stood up for m night Shyamalan when Everyone came down on him for the village. He was uh, losing some clout with, by the time he does signs, but he's still there. Like there was, a, you know, people were like, oh, "Okay, let's." Uh, I don't know about that one, but we'll see what's next. And then the village comes out, and everyone's like, "Nope, done with you. This sucks." Blah blah blah. And here I am going, "No, you guys, don't you see? It's like this." beautiful retelling of the allegory of the cave and it's really interesting and it's like <laughs> wonderfully shot and you're just too stupid to you know because you just want a big dub monster movie and that's not what he was intending to make and you know that's that's a you problem not a movie problem and then he goes and makes lady in the water and i can't defend <laughs> that for a fucking second i mean and, you know legend goes he came up with a story with his kids as he was like doing bedtime stories because he wasn't going to read them something that was already published. He had to like invent the stories with the kids and they would over, you know, night after night, they would just keep adding to this mythology that he was building. And so he thought, well, that's going to be my next movie now. And so he, he has this whole fairy tale thing with narfs and snurfs and and people, you know, different, all, all these different uh, uh, tenants of this apartment have this role that they have to fulfill in this fantasy world. And but it, it just, it's so bloated with exposition for bullshit that nobody should care about, and it just gets ridiculous more and more as the movie goes. You know, Paul Giamatti's great. He's trying, he's trying his damnedest to. To treat this like a real thing, but it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's just a colossal 
failure. I mean, Paul Giamatti is great. He's a great actor, but he's also, you know, he's done some shit. He started doing a lot more shit after this movie. (laughs) I think think this was like one in a number of missteps that has led to him, you know, doing insurance commercials. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Here's the thing. I... Now, I don't think I've I don't think I've seen this movie since it came out. So, my memory could absolutely be betraying me here. Um I don't remember hating it as much as you did. It's certainly not his best. It's not even in, you know, that conversation. Uh a lot of stuff didn't work. I think it's an interesting movie uh in that he is just throwing shit out there and just like completely making stuff up. But I don't know. I remember not, I remember not hating it and I could be, I could be absolutely wrong. I could be, and I feel like your feelings of betrayal are absolutely valid. Um, (laughs) But I, I don't remember it being as bad as, as the happening for me. But I, 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 like I said, I, I, predicted this would be your answer yeah well again like the happening as bad as it is it is conceptually of a piece like it is you know it's telling the story it wants to tell whereas sure but it's telling it so badly (laughs) you're correct but it is it is basically a uh, disaster film of some type Whereas uh-huh. in the case of Lady in the Water, it feels like it's making itself up as it goes. It sure, but I it's completely ill disciplined and and overindulgent. I just don't think that's as bad as doing a monster disaster movie poorly. We'll leave it at that. So uh, you know, and, and you know, I did see. The Last Airbender, when that movie was the latest thing to get or get people mad at M. Night Shyamalan. And I never watched the Nickelodeon show. And I know people have very strong feelings about it. I feel like a lot of the hate towards it was kind of more fanboy hate than it was film hate. Although he didn't get a lot of love from like critics or anything either. So. Yeah, it I wasn't it wasn't was a like, good movie, but to me it just felt like like going and renting like the live action Dragon Ball movie or something. It's like, well, well yeah, what'd you think it was gonna be? Yeah, I just I just remember people saying it was really boring and, and that is always my number one movie sin. Is mm-hmm. like if it's if it's bad and laughable, at least it's watchable. If it's again Lady in the Water, an interesting mess, at least it's in like at least there's stuff to sort of keep you going. I, to me, a boring movie is the worst thing you can do. And that's what I heard about The Last Airbender, but I haven't seen it, so. Also a lot of bad child actors. Uh, so for the best M. Night Shyamalan film, I have Unbreakable. And this is one that sort of uh, gained more traction over time. I think when it originally came out, it was so different from The Sixth Sense and that it wasn't, you know, a ghost story. It wasn't a horror film per se, although it had sort of an eerie quality to it. Um, and he, he, he's certainly working within that tone still. It was still definitely 
one of his movies. But, you know, it's over time that we've been able to sort of look back on it more and more fondly and and see just sort of how unique it was at the time. Because it was made prior to, like, the big superhero film explosion. And it was sort of naturalizing that type of mythology in a thriller format. In a way that you see more movies like that now than you Mm -hmm. do at the time. And I'm not saying, like, out of Marvel or DC. But, you know, you think of something like Logan or you think of, like, some of these alternative well, yeah, the, this films. kind of like grounded approach to to superheroes. It's it's a little less flashy. It's a little less about yeah. the the powers per se, and more like what if superhumans kind of lived among us? Yeah, yeah, and uh, it has a really great central performance from Bruce Willis, and and a supporting performance from. From uh, Samuel L. Jackson, it's very different from what he was sort of known for in the 90s. I really like the way that story sort of unfolds. The the thematic stuff about like fatherhood that's going on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a very strong, moody, visually striking, uh, interesting piece. If nothing else... The scene where his son has the gun is probably the best directed thing he's ever done. Like, that scene alone is so full of tension and scary and just, like, like so well done. Uh, and here's the thing. At the end of the day, I think I probably agree with you. This is, you know, up until... I think Split, uh, this has always been my favorite M. Night Shyamalan. Mm. Um, for all the reasons you're, uh, you're listing. I'm going to make a case here. And this, you might fight with me a little bit on this, but uh, it's content, right? Uh, so for my number one, my best picture, I had a, a tie between this. And uh, I'm going to say Signs. Okay, I, think I actually had this as my backup for overrated, but convince me otherwise. So, A, I think this is, again, it, some of these movies it's been so long since I've seen, but I feel like this was probably his movie I saw the most. I think it is his scariest, at least again, of the ones I've seen. Um, it, has a, it has a crappy ending. Like, yeah, it it falls apart at the end. And that's why it's hard for me to say that it's better than Unbreakable. Um, But uh, Unbreakable is, it's a little slower. It's a little, Mm -hmm. it's a little more drab. Um, It, a lot of the performances are very understated. Um, I think it's great, but I can see, I could see how someone would rent it and be bored by it. And I don't think Signs is boring. I think it is tense. It's weird. It's interesting. Um, I think the family unit is really well done. For me, it all falls apart with the CGI monster. But if it was not for that one thing, 
if that was even done today, I think it would be better. Um, I think this movie stands out to me because it doesn't have that. It, it you know, it's the first one. I mean, it kind of has a twist, but it's not reliant on this gotcha moment that I feel yeah. like a lot of his early work had. And, 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 you know, even the village, like, I think that's why people turned on the village was it has this sort of pull the rug out from under your feet moment. And signs doesn't have that. It has this moment where everything kind of comes together. Um, but I don't think it's a twist. I don't think it's, it's, I think it's sort of building to this culmination moment. And I have heard plenty of, arguments about the aliens coming to earth and it's a water-based planet and okay yeah, fuck that's... off like i <laughs> uh-huh yeah I, I agree i think that's silly yeah that's just that's a that's a it, it's a false to me it's a false argument it's like something bothered you about this movie and you're you're nitpicking because most people's favorite movies when held under under you know some kind of scrutiny, you can find flaws or whatever, and I and I don't think that's the problem with this movie. For me, it's just that last scene with Joaquin Phoenix fighting the CGI monster. Everything else building up to that point, I think, is tense and scary, and you know the aliens are a real threat. They're not. They're not this sort of it trick. Like everyone kind of thought it would be or whatever. I I think it's a solid movie. I think it is a solid horror flick. Yeah, I, I do agree that it is uh, of at least of that first batch is scariest. Um and I and I do think that it has some of his best scene work for sure. Um and some of his best set pieces. Um and his best use of tension. I really like that it's on, you know, this farm. It's a bit of a chamber piece. There isn't that many characters in it. It's not, but it also feels like his kind of, uh, again, up to this point, kind of his biggest movie. Because it is this, like, you know, sort of global thing. And a lot of that, I think, is done very well through, like, the news reports and, and stuff like that. Right. We're... We're gonna come. We're gonna uh, a lot of a lot of this uh, ties in with our review. Um, yeah. Of, uh, sure. Yeah. Knock at the cabin. Yes, I I agree, and I think that it does it does that fifties B movie thing that sort of War of the Worlds deal much much better than the happening that apocalyptic thing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I feel like the happening. It feels like it's thematically kind of retreading a lot of stuff that Signs did just so much better. Mm. Yeah, no, I I agree. I don't disagree with with any of that, and I I think it is of his strongest work. Um, maybe my issue with it is it's not even a twist thing, uh, but that sort of there's a bit of sentimentality to it that I wish it didn't have you know like the the way it wraps into uh the mel gibson story of like him losing his faith and it, it, it he starts to play into some of his writerly indulgences 
a bit. I I agree, kind of. Um, but I I don't think that's a bad thing. I th- I it, with other movies that he tries to do a similar thing, it it is bad and it doesn't work for the, for this movie. It it feels a little more natural to me, and and yes, it is kind of that sentimental. Um, like you said, it's a little more optimistic. It's a little more Spielbergian. Um, but I, I don't know for whatever reason in this movie, I think it it works for me. Yeah, I mean it 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 not a deal breaker by any means, uh, and sure. I still think it's amongst his strongest work. I'm more just surprised that this is the one you picked because I've only seen it, I think, twice. Oh, I saw it a lot, I feel like, in high school. But I think I probably agree with you that his best is Unbreakable. Um, You know, it sort of does away with my big problem of the sixth sense of relying solely on the twist ending. Mm -hmm. I feel like in this one, it, it, you know, in Unbreakable, it feels a little more earned. Um, It feels a little more naturally weaved into the story and, and... to me, the movie is less dependent on it. Um, I think that's more of a viewer's experience uh, type of thing. But I think at the end of the day, I probably agree with you. I just kind of wanted to pick something else. No, I, and I, I think, understand. Yeah, I think Signs is is a still a strong contender uh, for me in, in his personal canon. Okay, well, then let's get into his latest feature and that is knock at the cabin uh this is based on a novel by paul tremblay which i have not read have you read it no i have not a novel called cabin at the end of the world um and it is co-written by uh steve desmond and michael sherman or at least that's what i'm seeing in the credits here it could be a possibility that during development they were working on some version of this that M night eventually changed when he got the project. So who knows to what extent their writing contributions had in this, uh, but it feels a whole lot like an M night movie to me. Yeah. Yeah. The premise of the film, there is a, a married couple played by, Jonathan Groff and Ben Eldridge, Eric and Andrew, they have an adopted daughter uh, named Wen, Wen, played by Kristen Q. And they're taking a vacation off to a cabin in the woods. And Wen, when she's outside catching grasshoppers, she is approached by a large and intimidating Dave Bautista as Leonard begins to reveal that he is there with three others, played by Rupert Grint, Nikki Amuka Bird, and Abby Quinn as Adrian Redman and Sabrina. And they have been brought to the cabin through uh, visions that they've shared with each other online of an impending apocalypse unless one of the two of these men decide to sacrifice the other to end the oncoming plagues 
and earthquakes and weather anomalies that are suddenly starting to happen all over the all over the planet. So you have kind of interesting. To be fair, uh, they could have also killed their child. I, I guess, yeah. I, I, they, the, the option is is one of the three of that family has to has to die by the hands of the willingly other. sacrifice themselves to prevent the apocalypse. Yes, and so you have these two, the kind of two strands of tension in the story of you know horror, where you have these global apocalyptic scenarios that we're only hearing about through these short news clips that we catch every so often while the uh, uh, heroes of the story are tied to chairs and being forced into these horrific things. Um, While at the same time, they have their own situation of them in the cabin. And are we to believe that what these people say is true? Are they there because they're really afraid of this apocalypse or... Are they in some sort of death cult, or are they just there in, uh, in some sort of anti-gay discrimination attack that they have created some weird pretext for? Is this all humiliation? So, you know, it causes everybody, particularly those who are captured and tied, to think quick and think quietly and try and figure out what their next move is going to be throughout the film. Which is the most interesting stuff about it, in my opinion, is less about what the characters are saying and more about what they're doing in the moment. I agree with you. And for the most part, I found this movie to be uh, pretty interesting and engaging. I had a couple I had a couple kind of big problems with it though. Um, I think the setup is great. I think mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, like you said, the tension between this this group that clearly that clearly believes in what they're doing, whatever that is, whatever the core truth of that is, and you know this family that's just on vacation that just wants to get out of this situation. Yeah, the main leads here uh, between Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, and Ben Eldridge are all great. I think they're all doing. A lot of really good stuff. I think in general, the cast is really good. Mm-hmm. My problem, uh, first of all, the premise is this kind of thought experiment thing, right? Like, well, what would you do if you're, you know, you were told your family, you know, one of you had to willingly die. You know, it just feels like that sort of stoned conversation that you'd come up with at two in the morning. Yeah, it, um, it's like, a, you just know the world's going to end. What would you do? Right. You know what it's I mean? A, like, a, it feels like it's that. It's a philosophical conversation about, you know, the greater good versus your immediate, your immediate well-being or, um, you know, what is to cause the least amount of of damage and, and destruction overall. My problem with with it is that's great thought experiment. Uh, as a as a script, and I don't know if more of this is sort of in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, we're told that these these characters, these this cult, right? We're told that they're actually these sort of very reasonable people who have just been having these visions and are just, you know, overwhelmed by the truth. 
I feel like the the sort of philosophical argument that this movie's trying to make is pretty one-sided. And the only reason I care about that is because I feel like the movie is making it as a philosophical argument. Right. Like, it wants you to be in those shoes. And I would have liked to see a little bit more of the other side. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if these are truly reasonable people, I would have liked to see their characters kind of have their doubts with what they're doing because it's it's obviously very heinous and... and um scary mm-hmm. uh so so just on a screenplay level i think we there could have been some more interesting avenues to go down other than just you have to do this or the world dies i i think they could have played with that a little bit more. i ha- i i have a uh uh an idea of why they did not do that but go ahead well i mean i don't uh, yeah i don't know i don't know if it was because of the book i don't i don't know my other big problem with the movie, and to me this is kind of a big problem, is there's these scenes of violence, and the camera cuts away during these scenes of violence, right? So it's like you don't actually sort of see what happens. Mm-hmm. And on a story level, I feel like that really undercuts the experience that, that we should be feeling. I I think if those scenes had been recut to be brutal and to see everything in brutal detail, I think it would have been way more effective. Um, because some of these characters were introduced to pretty quickly and then they're just sort of, we don't necessarily get as much uh, uh, exposure to them. And I feel like, Again, to sort of truly be in this thought experiment, to really put our sh- shoe ourselves in the shoes of these characters, uh, I would have liked to have seen a cut of this movie where, and, and I don't, this isn't a gore hound thing. This isn't a, you know, oh, I should have been more violent. It is that I think extreme violence would have served the story better uh, because I think it just. It's hard for me to really describe why without being too spoilery. No, I I agree. Um, it in in some in some ways a movie does feel like it's pulling its punches a little bit, and there's something. It it feels like it's going for a PG thirteen rating, and I yeah. don't know why. Uh, yeah, I don't either. Exactly. Um, I mean, it's not really like him to to do th- the most graphic thing, you know. No, it's not. And and I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying about his more sort of sentimental side. Like, yeah. I, I get that on paper, the idea is what you don't see is so much scarier, so much, you know. But in this case, with this specific setup, I think actually seeing it would have been way scarier. Well, and, yeah, and it would definitely put you, know, you the sort in of, the shoes of... of uh, Groff and the his uh, scene partner. Uh yeah, uh, Ben Aldridge. Ben Aldridge. It would it would definitely put you in their their shoes, and that that kind of jolt to your senses of like you know real. How do you even continue going under these circumstances? And then also, yeah. How how do you have a conversation with people who are 
you know, capable of this level of brutal violence. And right. and I feel like the movie just sort of glosses over those parts. And, and I, I think it's really a disservice to the story. It, it actually really, like, kind of, you know, stuck in my craw. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that that was a deal breaker for me because I wasn't expecting that going in. Um, if it, if it were, sure. if were, I, I this mean, were being made by a director who I know could go there and for whatever reason they decided not to, then I would, I would probably have something more to say about that. But this is about the level of violence we usually get from this, this particular filmmaker. So it was on par with what we've seen from him. But I, I do agree that there is, that it, uh, you know, it would have done... It's not that I need violence, and for the most part, in, in his movies, I feel like that is the more appropriate choice mm-hmm. of the sort of cutting away or, you know... I. But just with this particular movie, it just felt wrong. Okay. Uh, my, I, ha- I have my issues with this movie as well, but they're, they're uh, different from yours. Um, except okay. for one. Actually, I, I agreed with you... You know, once we get to a certain point in the film and they're done introducing characters and we sort of know why they're there, what their plans are, blah, blah, blah. At that point, I agree, you know, because there is already a flashback, flash forward uh, structure to the screenplay. Um, And that works wonders for for the, the two leads. And their daughter, yes, and like watching them on a adoption day, and when they first meet uh, during this uh, a, a gay bashing event that happens earlier in their life, and it informs the rest of the movie and opens the world up in interesting ways. And I agree that you know you don't want this movie to be too long, but if we had at least had. Yeah, I, I actually think the length is pretty great. Yeah. If we'd at least had a scene of, or some, maybe seen some of these visions or like, you know what I mean? We're yeah. we're just sort of taking your word for it. And I think that it, to a, to a degree, a point. Like, I think he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. And this might have been a book thing. I don't know. But, um... You're supposed to always be wondering, are they crazy? Or and or is this all just like a a big fucked up, you know, home invasion play yeah. that they're doing? Yeah. Are they gonna snap and this is all just a game? Yeah. Or are they truly zealots? And if they are I mean, but that's the that's the other thing, right? When we're presented with this situation and once we realize that that sort of is the situation there's just so many things of like okay well how do we know that you're not causing these bad things to happen how do we know like well well, yeah you can you can go down those rabbit holes that to me that's like the 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 water on the planet kind of thing like that's just we're already it's already yeah no i i agree with you and that's we're working off the sci-fi rules that they're giving us yeah so i'll i'll accept that but but i i I think that they they did want to leave a little bit of mystery there just on the off chance that there could be more to reveal later and you're supposed to again i think what 
he's really trying to do as a filmmaker is have you be in the mind of the victims the whole time and and think what they're thinking because you're only working with what they have to work with, which is what these characters are saying at the time. Now, my my uh, issues with the movie um, beyond that is the dialogue's not great a lot of the times. Um, it's pretty clunky, doesn't hit the ear correctly. <laughs> a lot of times characters just... They reach for these supposedly poignant things to say that just clang and are unnecessary, really, in the context of the story, because we can already sort of gather that. But he always has to put the most obvious thing in people's mouths as the story goes. And it. Uh, I mean, I mean, I have said this for a while. I think that M. Night be such a more successful director if he didn't always insist on writing everything himself. Right. Because I think he he has some serious issues with, specifically with dialogue, with uh, characterizing people without, especially, you know, especially the last decade or so, laying it all out on the, the page in a very unnatural way. Right. Which did not used to be a problem or just, not one that seemed as noticeable. I feel like he would highly benefit uh, from, you know, from a script doctor, from someone who's who's editing his work, because I think he's good at the sort of bigger picture stuff. Mm-hmm. And I do think he's a good director as as far as tone and scene and and you know, I he can set up tension with some of the best of them, but. But yeah, he's not great at understanding what people sound like. And it's not only just that. It's like he almost uh, underline the message constantly or punctuate the message constantly with these cheesy lines that are so obvious. And uh, it, Th- these were some of the same issues I had with old as well. I, mm-hmm. I, there are some moments that are like, what fucking kid would say that? Or, you know, like just, and I agree with you. I, I think this, this definitely has those moments as well. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of scenes that would play out much better if nobody said anything. Um, yeah. But instead yeah. they're constantly monologuing throughout the movie. Um, so there's that, uh, the, uh, my other issue, and this is my big issue with the movie is the movie's definitely, you know, it's based on a book. I don't know how long the book has been out, but in the way that it sort of portrays a lot of these, uh, apocalyptic scenarios, he seems to be interested in the discourse. He seems to be interested in talking about the things, right? So we have a a global pandemic that's starting. We have a, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what seems to be, you know, these massive tsunamis, planes falling out of the sky in what could be some sort of uh, weather situation, you know, and that's fine. That's, I think there's, there's something to be said about sort of the, you know, and this is something that subtextually works in a way that I'm not even sure he's aware of. But, you know, this idea that they are sort of sequestered away in this idyllic cabin 
them and the family, while there's supposedly all this chaos going around in the world that they don't really have to think about because they're away from it. There's, you know, there's something to be said about, like, the last two or three years of uh, seeing chaos constantly through feeds, but trying to ignore it in your everyday life. That's all great. Cool, cool, Mm -hmm. cool. I wish the movie could hone in on that a little bit more without it just kind of existing in the subtext, just based upon what's happening. My issue with it, and I don't think he's trying to do this, but it sure feels like it, is the cure for ending the chaos of the world is for uh, two people in a loving same-sex relationship to decide to kill the other one to have the faith in something supernatural and beyond them that ending their union will bring upon peace in the world and again i don't feel like that is i don't think that i don't know i don't believe that m night Shyamalan is homophobic or or reactionary in that sort of way, but it is very difficult to not see it that way. I, especially when the whole movie is basically this. And again, I feel like this and signs are like the, the sister films. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see because there's this whole overarching thing about, about faith in this movie. And I'm not, I'm not talking about faith in a, in a specific religion, but, but this idea of, yeah, but it's faith with a capital F, right? It's whatever your faith is. It's you, but you need to be able to take that leap. Right. And it's, and in this case, the leap that must be taken is for this beautiful modern family to end it, to bring upon peace upon the earth. Well, call me crazy. So that goes, call me, a radical lib or whatever, but I just... No, 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 no. So that that was my point with the movie is making a philosophical argument, but it never makes the other side of the argument. And that's, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Like, mm-hmm. that's what really bothers me is, is it's presented from a point of view of, well, these characters are fucking right and okay. And I... I wanted to see them struggle with that. You know, like me and Ashley were looking at each other the whole time saying, no, fuck the world. The world burns. Like if that's the situation, (laughs) sorry, we will wander the earth by ourselves in the apocalypse. Sucks for humanity. What have you done to deserve not destruction? You know what I mean? Well, the the movie does try to, the the movie does try to make a, a more personal, choice in that with the the future of their daughter and da 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 but well she yeah 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 sure but she's gonna be you know she'll be with us that's what i'm saying when the movie needs to make the other side of the argument because because otherwise it does come across exactly how you're saying it it does come across of like well they just had to do it to be right or, or to save the world and these religious zealots were right, and I agree with you. Well, like there is, I don't even think it's 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 um, accurate to call them religious zealots because we don't. 
Well, yeah, they're not of a religion. They're just serving these visions. But yes, I mean, I agree with you completely. It is not hard to get a subtext out of that that is homophobic. And this, this you know, beautiful blending pot of a family that truly loves each other. And, and I had issues with the ending because of all of this. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to give away what happens. Um... I mean, I will say I didn't I didn't like read an entire synopsis of the novel because I don't feel like I think the movie should speak for itself. But I was curious. Absolutely. I was curious. And I, I, I guess that the novel does end more ambiguously than the movie does. Oh, interesting. Okay, I, I feel like it needed that personally. I think I don't know. I, I felt like the ending it, it it wasn't like again some night some M Night Shyamalan movies where it feels like the rug was sort of pulled out from underneath you or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I yeah. came away from the movie going, you know, going over it over and over in my head because I I was, despite all of its problems, of which there are many, um, I did I was enraptured in it. I was I was sucked in. I you know he it's good enough. That I was, um, yeah, for I, lack of a better word, I, I agree with you. It's, it's captivating. And, it's entertaining. Yeah. It's it's easy to put yourself in the character's shoes. All, all, again, the performances are really good. I yeah, as a, I am continually impressed with Dave Bautista. I I think that the opening sequence is very tense and weird and interesting. Mm-hmm. I just I like the flash forward flashback stuff. I thought. That was that was really strong and and I um you know on a genre level I think the movie works, um but when I was sitting there thinking about it over and over in my head I'm like okay but if it's not that then what is it about and if it's if it's not about that then it's not about much and that's yeah that's a problem. I do agree with you that I. Th- <sighs> It feels sort of unintentional to me. Uh, I, I believe that uh, it, it is. It, again, I'm not. Well, and, and in the movie, they because again, I haven't read the book, but in the movie, they do reference. I, I believe that they reference that this has happened to people like sort of before. Um, it, it seems to have some kind of connection to the actual cabin they're at. Um, so I, I do think. There is some part of the story that we're missing. I think there's a, sort of a bigger mythology that's more like um, these sacrifices have happened before kind of thing. I felt like that was implied at points. Mm. But where the movie hardlines certain themes and it's very vague about that sort of thing, you know, I, I agree with you. It is it. It's a little problematic. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I... It doesn't have to be. That's the thing. It's like you could have all of this stuff in here. Well, but it's it's the way it plays out. Yeah. It's the way it plays out with, you know, this sort of certainty and yes, I agree with you. Okay. So let's throw a grade on it. Um <laughs> it's uh it's not the best M. Night Shyamalan movie I've ever seen, even of his recent work. Uh it's not the worst by any means. Um there's a lot to like about it. Uh, I could see some people seeing this and saying, what a load of horse crap and, and, and not being able to, 
to come to terms with with the thematic hypocrisy. I had those moments. I had those moments. But, but I think I, if you're willing yeah. to extend the charity that that you didn't mean it that way, even though it very much feels like he meant it that way, then it's it's a B minus for me. Okay. All right. I I so the the thing that I keep coming back to is uh, that I like you said I the movie is strong enough on a on a technical level on a on a just being a movie to watch you know it, it's strong enough on that level that it kept pulling me back in so I'm gonna give it a B I think it's it's very entertaining it's you know it's thrilling in all the right ways. But like a lot of M. Night Shyamalan things, I think something, some elements uh, are a little clumsy in their execution because of his attention to other details. So I'm giving it a solid B. Okay, uh, well, let's go to our uh, streaming homework, uh, The Rules of Attraction from 2002. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're making me set this one up, so thanks a lot. Um, another movie based on a book. Um, it, it is, yes. Yeah, by uh, uh, Brett Easton Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, this is a movie about three college-age students. Um, uh, James Vanderbeek plays Sean Bateman. Uh, Ian Somerhaller plays Paul Denton, and Shannon Sossaman plays Lauren Hind. Um, and it's it's sort of about their experiences in college, uh, you know, their sexual experiences, and the, these sort of three stories of these that intertwine um, about their, you know, their varying degrees of you know, wanting to get laid and get drugs and go to these many, many parties, which seem like occur every night of the week. <laughs> um, this isn't a movie that I would say relies really heavily on plot. Um, Almost it, it entirely. Feels... Yeah, I would say that it is It is very loosely narrative. <laughs> yeah, it's more just a vibe of these these three sort of separate stories and how they, they intertwine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's sort of hard to describe without just exactly detailing what happens. Right. Um, I, okay. I will say, have you seen this one before? Yes. I feel I like you have. Yeah. Um, I came across this one when I was in college um, or around that time. And I want to say I might have even seen it before I saw American Psycho. I have Um, definitely seen scenes of this on TV on like, I I think on like Comedy Central and and stuff back in the day where I would, I I remember watching certain segments of it and being like, why is this on Comedy Central? (laughs) Uh, This is very uh, pitch black humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, okay, I'm just going to get into it. I didn't care for this movie, uh, really at all. Uh, it just sort of felt ugly and nihilistic and 
not funny uh, for the most part. There's a few scenes that that kind of got me. Um, and I get that that I feel like tonally this movie is very strange because it's it's playing this very it's it's playing this stuff as like a sex comedy, mm-hmm. which I I absolutely believe is intentional um, because it feels like it's definitely trying to say something about that, but ultimately comes across saying nothing because of it. I, I, I don't know. A lot of this felt kind of pretentious and haughty and judgmental and gross. This is kind of a really gross movie. Uh, and I think intentionally misogynistic some of that to the point of, okay, is that really the point of it? Or is that, you know, I mean, Brett Easton Ellis isn't exactly, um, you know, he is a controversial writer. And I think for a lot of these reasons, Mm -hmm. um, I just don't know how well it played out as a movie. Whereas say something like American psycho, the director of that is so, in tune with what it's trying to say that I think it probably elevates the material. Again, I have not read either any of these novels. I've only seen the movies. Um, I just know I enjoyed American Psycho a lot more. Um, And it, I mean, I think you could say a lot of similar things about that as a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And people have. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. Um, but I, I don't know. This movie just really rubbed me the wrong way. I felt like it was just kind of obnoxious and grating, and I just kind of wanted it to be over. Uh, it, it's 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 a difficult one. Um, so there's a few uh, a few things going on about this movie that keep me interested because even. You know, the first time I saw it, I I don't even remember what my feelings were about it. But other well, than... I mean, this it, movie's intentionally abrasive. Right, and you off-putting know, it, and dark. Yeah, and, it, it opens with a rape scene. Like, it... Yeah, I mean... It, at, when you do that in a movie, like, you're... You know what... You should know what you're doing if you open your movie with a scene like that. Right. You know, the movie came out in 2002... Which we were in the thick of it with uh, frivolous teen sex comedies in sure. the vein yeah. of the American Pie, Euro Trip, uh, Road Trip, all the trips. You know, not another teen movie. Uh, whatever there was, a, there was a lot of stuff. You know, the, in the eighties and nineties, um, there was more, a little bit more um, innocence. I mean, I guess depending on how far back in the 80s you go. But let's say sure. like John Hughes on, you know, there's there's teen movies that were made for sort of a PG-13 young adult audience. And then the late 90s, you get uh, American Pie that kind of reinvigorated the teen sex comedy in a big way. Mm-hmm. And Roger Avery, who uh, developed this into a screenplay and who directed it. Um, Roger Avery originally uh, came up with Quentin Tarantino at Video Archives. 
Um, and they co-wrote Pulp Fiction together. And they had a bit of a falling out after that period. And they've only recently, in the last year or two, started becoming friends again. Now they have a podcast. But post-Pulp Fiction, he started doing a lot of book adaptations. And he's worked with Ellis, I think, a few times. Um, and this was our first collaboration. But I think, you know, you have 2002, the height of this these teen sex comedies. There's a metatextual thing going on here. And this is why I feel like the movie earns its abrasiveness and is a little okay. smarter than it might feel going into it. As I feel like this movie in a way is sort of calling out the inherent misogyny of that genre that sure. plays and, it for laughs and plays it because you have, you think about that, that scene in um, or several scenes, but specifically the scene in American pie where the foreign class made is being video cammed against her will and then it's shared with everybody and we're supposed to feel bad for the guy who set up the camera because yeah. he gets caught. I, I don't disagree with that. And and I think my problem I, is well, I feel like the movie simultaneously heavy handed. I think it's simultaneously heavy handed and too obtuse. And maybe that's my issue is I, I generally prefer a more open satire. I don't know. Um, but I feel like it, it would be very easy to watch this movie and not get that it's that it's satire. judging that. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's my issue with it. It's not that it's calling these things out uh, because, of course, I, I, I and maybe maybe it was less so at the time, um, but it just feels sort of obvious, but also mean spirited and without offering I anything else. And, and well, there's very few there's very few characters in this movie that are redeemable, right? You have the Shannon Tossman character, who's pretty much the only basically good person in this movie. Yeah. Like everybody else in the movie is sort of awful, which is Um I I don't know. There I feel like there's there's uh some other side characters that small characters that that uh uh you know are just sort of neutral or or whatever. Um but yes, all of the main characters are are intentionally just bad. <laughs> uh uh and I think to varying degrees of James Vanderbeek, right, is yeah. very interesting casting for this. Uh, right, because at the know, time the, he was he was Dawson, he was his boy next door, and then through most of this movie, he's like Kubrick staring you down directly into the camera. Yeah, and and this movie sort of caught me off guard with with how ugly it was that I, I did need, like, I felt like I needed to kind of read up a little bit about it. And I, you know, I think it's very interesting that this character is brothers with Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. And right. they even like playfully sort of reference it in the, in the movie, but you know, they never call it out or whatever, um, which would have been weird. Like, of, of course, 
Um, that's not what this movie's about. Um, but after kind of knowing that a lot of stuff, a lot of other things made sense mm-hmm. about the movie, but I, I felt like I didn't get that stuff from the movie itself, if that makes sense. Well, like, I, mean, I, I, I felt like I needed this extra context to, to kind of get what this movie was. And so, that, I think, is my issue with it. Right. I, 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 I get you. Um, this is not a movie that wants to be liked, per se. Um, and Brady Sinellis indulges, you know, this dry, sardonic nihilism. And this he sort of approaches the worst people in humanity without judgment so he he kind of just puts it out there and then lets lets them play as is you know without any moral compass in the movie you you sort of can obtain a moral compass through you know who is with power and without power in, in, in his movies and where that leads them. And in something like American Psycho, you have something a lot more centered around a specific genre that, mm-hmm. that kind of plays into that. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, you know, he wrote this before Psycho, uh, American Psycho. Yeah. Um, this is his second novel. And at the time, he was very young. You know, he wrote Lesson Zero when he was still in high school and had it published. He wrote this when he would have been the age of the characters, when he was going to prep school. You see, um, that doesn't make me feel better about it. I, I He wrote that. American I, Psycho when he was living in New York in the late 80s. We think sure. of American Psycho as a period piece and of a satire of the 80s, but he was writing what he was seeing. Um, sure. and, I, and I think that that's what he's doing here, too. I think that this was his – the way that he critiques Wall Street and the capitalist class um, and the uh, the yuppie sharks in American Psycho, he's doing the same thing with these sort of overprivileged, morally gray or amoral prep school students who who feed off of each other. And you do see a similar thing here where – in American Psycho, everyone's constantly forgetting each other's names or confusing each other with each other. And it plays into Patrick Bateman's psychosis as whether or not what is what is real and what isn't, which, again, exists more within a genre context. Here, he seems to be doing the sort of same thing where these people will have invented entire relationships in their head that that didn't exist. It's it's all about infatuation and confusing infatuation and lust with love. And well, he, here's the thing. Yes, it, it I I but it doesn't feel like that's what the movie is about. And that's my issue with it, right? Like I I feel like I think that's exactly what the movie's about. I mean, all all of these characters are chasing after this this idealized fantasy of love that no 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 i'm i'm not i'm not disagreeing with with what you're saying my my point is i think american psycho for me works as as a movie 
a -hmm. lot more because it feels a lot more, it feels more outside, right? Like it it feels more observational. Whereas this Mm -hmm. feels like it's playing this stuff off for laughs. And, and in a way that once you kind of get what it's going for, you're like, Oh, okay. This is, this is satire, but I think it's very easy to watch this movie and not get that. I, I you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like it's very easy to, to be the sort of like fight club person that is easy to complain about who, who watches it and is like, Oh yeah. Tyler Durden's got some good points. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Yeah. But the movie shows us that, that that's not the point. And, and I feel like this movie doesn't, do that as well. And that's kind of my issue with well, it. Well, like, I would it, agree. It, I think that American it, Psycho is the better movie. You know, not only because I think it's more thematically cogent, but it's also, you know, just um, it's directed better. It's more interesting, you know, whatever. For all the reasons, it's, it's better. I think this is not too much worse, though, and, and I th- especially to think of it in the context of like the teen sex comedy craze of the early 2000s as being sort of a critique of that. I think that is what it's strong. And, it, you know, there are certain sequences where Avery as a director is doing some interesting stuff. He's definitely sort yes. of throwing it all in in the kitchen sink like every Every scene sort of has like a trick shot or something, or it, it it's a, it maybe a hair over directed, but there's yeah, there is a sequence that I love, you know, when it shows uh Sossaman, um, and James Vanderbeek's characters' uh, morning routines and where they eventually cross paths. It's done in split screen until the their paths cross and combines the two, uh, to the Donovan song, um. Uh, which this movie has a killer soundtrack. Yes, uh, it has a. I, I like. I definitely enjoyed the soundtrack. I think maybe more than the movie. <laughs> and then you get some, you know, some fun bits um, with uh, uh, what's who's the, what's the one character the, the the drug dealer character? Oh yeah, yeah. He. So that that's kind of my point. Is this? I I think this movie. Occasionally, I'm not even going to say occasionally. I think this movie, there are times when it is much more successful at what I think <laughs> the story is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is all of these things. So, like, there, the movie kind of wins me back at, at moments. Like, the, the scene where it's recounting um, the one guy's trip in Europe. Victor. And, yeah, and it's just yeah. like this overly long uh like recap and it's sped up and it's just all about these you know sexual misadventures that are just horrible and right. to me well, I'm specifically like, the lead up to that because this is this is this person that uh, Shannon Sossaman's character has envisioned her future with yeah, who's idolizing this framed picture of him in their bed and or next to his bed and 
she believes that when he comes back, they're going to have like this beautiful relationship. And then you see the whole time he was in Europe, he was just getting high and sleeping with hookers and, you know, in, in this like big uh, monologue that sped up, sped through. And it's all shot like handy cam style on the street. It, it, exactly. And that's my yeah. point. This is a, a sequence where the movie is telling you what it is. And, and, mm-hmm. and you know what I mean? And it is, it, it, to me, it's, it's, and maybe it's just because it's, it's more obvious. Maybe it's because it is more on the nose. But for me, I was like, okay, this works. This is because yeah. it is calling these things out. It is making him, you know, it is making this all look as horrible as it is. And I feel like the movie isn't always, Sometimes it it feels a little too traditional sex comedy, and I I feel like that uh, sometimes I don't know it, it's just kind of an ugly movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I think when you for me when you open this this the movie the way that it opens, which is uh, just really difficult scene. Yeah, also really. knowing knowing immediately that what we're seeing is the end of the story, not the beginning of the story. Yeah. Um, I think that colors everything else. I think, you know, even when things are light and bouncy and fun or funny, um, and the movie does indulge certain comedic aspects. I mean, the sequence with his childhood friend, um, who's drunk at the, him and his mother's, uh, that's like a great, just by itself, a great comedic set piece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the Victor sequence and yeah, I mean, there's moments of the movie, there's moments of the movie and I I don't think it's perfect, but there is moments of the movie that I feel are brilliant, you know, really strong filmmaking. And I, I, what kind of keeps me coming back to it is that sort of tension between where it brushes against perfection and almost misses it. For to be less comfortable, to be less perfect, to be less traditional. Here's the thing. I think this movie is maybe more interesting than good. Um, And and I don't know. Maybe that's even a little too harsh. Um, (laughs) Because, again, it does have good moments. And I think I I, I kind of agree with some of it. But also, like, I, I'm i not totally, I don't know. I, I, you don't have to agree with a movie to enjoy it or to watch it. But, right. um, yeah, I don't think the I, movie wants to be agreed with. I don't, no, I, I, I don't mind, you know, I, I, I do think that we should think about movies after we watch them. And, and obviously, not all movies need to be uh, about comfortable subject matter and, and shouldn't be. They should challenge these things. I, I just, I don't know. There was something about this that just set icky with me. And I, I just didn't enjoy it. I don't blame you for feeling that way. I think in, I think to some degree, it, it is, that's what it's going for. You know, the, the satire maybe shouldn't have extended to the marketing. Right. Uh, but I, I think it did. And that, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 
this might be one that I need to sit with a little more uh, because I there are on an artistic level there are things that I appreciate about it. Mm. Um, I like it, but I don't. I wouldn't suggest it mildly. You know, I wouldn't just put this in anybody's hands. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly people who are too young to really understand it. And not that I'm worried that somebody's going to see it and it's going to flip a switch in their brain and they're going to, you know, turn into a horrible person who does horrible things. I think, I don't think that's how the world works, but, but I, I, I do think that it's, um, you, you need to know what you're seeing when you see it. And, you know, I don't even want to necessarily come off as a moralist and, and, and say, like, even movies that have reprehensible stuff in it isn't something you could enjoy in spite of those things, like an animal house or, or whatever. Uh, sure. Or I mean, there's, 16 there's... Candles, even. It's like has some pretty unbelievable stuff in that movie. Um, yeah, I by today's standards, I don't want to play the by today's standards game too much. Uh, I just think it's interesting that this, that it almost took the sort of disregard and disinterest for human optimism (laughs) that comes from Brett Easton Ellis to approach the subject matter in an honest way, even though for as as difficult as his movies are, it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what a difficult person he is outside of that. <laughs> so, Fair enough. Uh, I, he's said and done things that I very much disagree with, but sometimes he says some things and he does some things that are very interesting because of that his his generally well, I mean, nihilistic that's... outlook on everything and his contrarian nature. Well, and, and, you know, we, we all contain multitudes, you know, we're all capable of, of bad things and good things. And, and the only point I was trying to make is I feel like other, I don't know that this movie just based off of the, the text of the movie itself necessarily gives you all of the context that you need to understand the movie whereas something like american psycho is a is textually more sound is more you get what you're getting and yeah i mean i think i think american psycho is again the better movie yeah, I, again, it I'm is, just bringing it, it up because it's the same author. but Right, and, and you know, they share a lot of similarities. Not only yeah. just the brother thing, but, you know, just in their approach. I think American Psycho is the easier movie to adapt because you do you can play it off as, as a satire of a certain type of horror film. And you have those yeah. beats that you can kind of lean on. And even though the movie uh, subverts a lot of that, um, it still has that ingrained structure in it. All right. And what do you have for the next streaming homework we do? 
we are going to go back in time to the 80s and we're going to visit a little roadhouse with Patrick Swayze, something that um, uh, somehow both of us have never seen. That is true. That is true. Which is uh, currently streaming on Netflix. Right. And wasn't there a remake or there's been talks of a remake probably? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, of course, that makes a lot of sense that... That feels like the movie that the type of movie that it makes sense that it would be remade. Yeah, didn't they I, remake fucking Footloose? They did, which I have seen. Um, but I have I've not seen Roadhouse. It doesn't look there's like there's been a remount a remake out yet. Uh, there was a sequel called Roadhouse Two: Last Call that was directed DVD uh, in two thousand six. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty great name for a sequel. Um, there was also a movie in 48 called Roadhouse, but I don't know if there's any relation to <laughs> this one. All right. Okay. Well, if anybody has anything to say about any of the things we talked about in this episode or previous, you can reach us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at MacGuffinPod. You can also follow us at our letterbox uh, by uh, searching us under MacGuffin Podcast or um, uh, MacGuffin Pod. And um, be sure to read the other articles and written reviews by the rest of the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. Uh, be sure to read the reviews I do for the Idaho State Journal by Googling uh, Idaho State Journal Movie Reviews or Idaho State Journal Arts and Entertainment, and that should show you the review archives. And you can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VC Cassidy. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram and I guess sometimes Twitter. Um, at Keith Foster Kid, you can also, uh, if you're in San Diego, um, and you want to check out a, a live show and see me do improv, I'm performing at Mockingbird Improv fairly regularly with the show Improv versus Stand Up, which you can also follow on Instagram at Improv versus Stand Up. Okay, that is the episode. Rock and roll.